Hello and welcome to John Cook Ministries podcast. I'm John Cook. Good morning. We want to welcome you to our continuing series on the pastoral epistles. Today's lesson is lesson number two. We are going to cover in today's lesson, Lord willing, verses two through five of 1 Timothy chapter six. Now, we've already covered the first uh, verse of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so this will be a continuing study on uh, that study or on that uh, series or in that series, I should say. What we're going to learn is the servant's responsibility to believing masters. Do servants have a responsibility to a Christian master. What does God have to say about that? And preacher, what are we expected to do concerning this matter in regards to our members, in regards to the sheep that God has given us to care for? And what is the proper response to the rejecter of God's words. These are the things that we want to cover today in our studies. So let's get right into our study today. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. These are the things that you and I are supposed to be teaching and exhorting, the Bible says. Now, when we start to break this verse down, the first part says, they that have believing masters. This is the responsibility, God's pointing out the responsibility of a servant to a Christian master. In other words, this is a slave and master relationship in reality. But in our society, it would be the employee to the employer, and that's really weakening it. But nevertheless, that's what it would be. Now notice it says, servants Obey. In what? Notice, in, whoops, I'm sorry. I messed up there. It says, servants obey in all things. All things. Whatever the master says, obey. It says, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now, this, this is dealing with us 
in this fleshly body, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now, what's this eye service business? I mean, what is God talking about not with eye service? He's talking about the fact that we're not to do it just to be seen of our masters. Nor are we to do it just to please men. But we're to do it in singleness of heart, in faithfulness to God, fearing God. In other words, obeying God because he is God. We obey our masters by obeying God. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But that's what it says. Now let's compare something. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. It says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. Notice again, there's that word obedient. To them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. Now we know what that fear is. That fear is the fear of God. And that's not all. That's literally what the word says. Fear. Look it up in the English dictionary. And trembling. In singleness of your heart. Now notice, singleness. Singleness has to do with one person we're committed to. As unto Christ. So, in the same way. That's what that word as means. In the same way that we are committed to the Lord, we're supposed to be committed to our masters, not with eye service. There it is again, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Remember, we are the servants of Christ, and we are to, as the servants of Christ, Doing the will of God from the heart. Notice, that's from the heart. That's not from my head. That's not an intellectual thing. It's from my heart. It's out of a love towards the Lord that I serve him from my heart. Now it says, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service. So let them not despise them. That word despise, I didn't do a very good job there. Let's underline it. That word despise means we don't hold them in contempt. We don't look at them with a bad attitude. We don't grit our teeth in service. This would be the natural from a man's standpoint. You know, sometimes we as employees to an employer, sometimes we have the attitude that, okay, I'm going to do what you say, but you're not right. And we always think we know better. Well, when God makes you the boss, then you can do better. But till then, you do what the boss says. That's what God says. 
And you don't do it through gritted teeth. And you don't do it with despite in your heart, with contempt towards your boss. In this case, a servant to his master. Though that would be the natural from man's standpoint, I'm sure. Now, why should we do that? Or why shouldn't we do it? Well, he says, because they are brethren. Now, what does he mean there? Let them not despise them because they are brethren. Well, there's an old saying that I grew up with, and it's called familiarity breeds contempt. So the problem for many of us is, is just that, familiarity. He's a Christian, I'm a Christian, therefore we're equals. Well, in this particular case, we're not equals. We are each responsible to God to do what God tells us. My job as an employee is to do what God tells me to do, and that is not to hold another Christian who may be my boss in contempt, despite. Sometimes we, because of our familiarity, sometimes we question, well, he just doesn't understand. Or maybe he's not really a Christian. After all, would he be my boss in this case? Or in this case, in the scripture that we're dealing with, it's a slave to his master's relationship. So the slave's questioning Christianity of his boss. Would he be a, he can't be a Christian, be a master. God says that's not true. And God says don't question their, their uh, Christianity. But rather, he says, do them service. The correct response is an attitude of service. Serve them. Do them service. Do your job. Do what you're hired to do. And what are you hired to do? What the boss says. I know I've given this illustration before. But once again, I want to give, give the same illustration. Sometimes, or when I was a kid, that's not true. I'm getting a little confused here. When I was uh, working for a business called Kirfot in San Marcos, California, the first day I got there, I walked into the area where I was to work, and over my boss's desk, the manager of that area, over his desk was this sign. Rule number one, the boss is always right. Rule number two, in the event it appears the boss is wrong, refer to rule number one. In other words, the boss is always right. Now, I may not agree with that. You may not agree with that. But God says, serve them. Do what they say. Give them service. You know what we as Christians ought to have? We as Christians ought to have an attitude 
of service, a servant's heart. Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant. Well, if he could do it, we can do it. And if he would do it in obedience to the Father's command, we should do it in obedience to the Father's command and to our Lord's command. Why do them service? The Bible says because they are faithful and beloved. They are faithful. They're Christians just like we are. So why do them service? Because they're faithful to the Lord. Do what they say because they're faithful to the Lord. And they're beloved of the Lord. God loves them just like he loves us. Sometimes we don't think the boss is too lovable, but God does. And we're to love like the Lord loves. We're to serve like the Lord served. Therefore, we should love them as the Lord loves us. We should let the love of God show through us towards our masters. And not only that, they're partakers of the benefit. You know, there's a benefit to being saved. There's the benefit of having the Savior in our heart. Having the Savior live in us. There's the benefit that we live in the Savior. There's the benefit of faithfulness to the Savior. The Bible says it's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Faithfulness is required of us as Christians. And so if we stop and think about the fact that just like in us, the Savior lives in that master. So by being faithful to that master, we're being faithful to the Lord. I wonder if you ever thought about that. I wonder if we really give that much thought in our lives. There's the benefit that just like us, the master is going to receive just and equal treatment. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Now this speaks to the, to the boss. God says to the boss, treat your, treat your servants with justice and equality. Know this. To the boss, he says, know this, that you have a master in heaven. You know, truth is, is we all have a boss. We all have somebody that's over us. I remember in an old John Wayne video, he says to this young fellow, that says, well, I guess I should just be thankful that you give me a job. He said, give? Man, I don't 
give jobs. I hire men. The silly thing is that in our society today and in our educational system today, we find a teaching that indicates that we're all equal and we don't have to obey anybody. I'm my own man. And in that old John Wayne video, he made this statement. He said, everybody has a boss. He said, I've got a boss. He said, the people of the United States that buy the meat that I sell. He said, and over the president, there's a boss. Over everybody, there's a boss. Ultimately, God is our master. We all answer to God, ultimately. And one day, Christian, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and answer for the things that we did in this flesh. Now, were we faithful servants? And masters, were you faithful to your servants, treating them just and equal? And all this we do because we know we have a master in heaven. says, partakers of the benefits. So when do we receive those real benefits? I mean, the outcome of all, all of our service. When do we benefit from all of that? Well, Colossians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25 says, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance. Notice it says, ye shall This business about shall means it's a certainty. It doesn't say we may. It doesn't say we might. It says ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. Who do we serve? Did you get that? We serve the Lord Christ. We serve the Savior, whether we're a master or whether we're a servant. In both cases, we serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There's that word shall again. And notice, in both cases, there's no uncertainty about it. There is a certainty, shall receive the wrong for the wrong which he hath done. If we wrong one another, we don't get away with it. If I don't do my job as an employee to my employer, I don't get away with it. I'm going to answer to God for my unfaithfulness. And if I as a boss... Don't treat my employees with the right attitude. I don't get away with that either because I'm failing to serve the Lord Christ. Because you see, he concludes it by saying, there is no respect of persons. So whether you're the master or the slave, whether you're the employer or the employee, there is no respect of persons. Your position 
doesn't get you out of answering. It just means greater responsibility. He says, these things teach and exhort. Preachers, this is our responsibility to teach and preach this message. That is a message of, let me see if I can do this, whether servant or master. It doesn't matter. Faithfulness is what I'm supposed to teach. I'm to teach this message right here. Faithfulness, whether servant or master. Now, what are we to say with those that disagree with this message? Not what am I to say to you? Not what is my answer to you? But what does God tell me to, to do, to say? First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3 says, If any man teach otherwise, consent not, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He just told you what the doctrine is. That's referring back to that doctrine of faithfulness on the part of the servant and on the part of the uh, master. Now, here's what God says to us as preachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. You don't need that unless somebody's going around teaching something else. Now, I want you to notice that word, charge. That means command. That means you give them what God says, not as a suggestion, but a command. There's no suggestion here. Charge them. Charge some. That some is those that are teaching other doctrine. Charge them that they teach no other doctrine. In other words, don't you go around saying what God's saying the opposite of what God says. This other doctrine depends on the opinions of man. Boy, we value our opinions. We think our opinions are worth more than gold. And silver. We think our opinions are worth more than the other guy's opinions. And we want to teach as preachers. And remember, this, this series of studies is primarily to teach students of the ministry who one day hope to be in the ministry, men who hope one day to preach the gospel, pastor churches. Don't get in the pulpit and preach your opinions. What am I supposed to preach? Well, I think we're supposed to preach, thus saith the Lord. That's not my opinion. Check the word of God. Check what God says. And what God says 
in the Old Testament over and over again. He would say to the prophets of God, speak, thus saith the Lord. What does God say to me as a preacher in the New Testament? Preach the word. Why is that important? Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. Since every word is important, then the words of God must be preserved for us so that we have every word pure and undefiled. And the Bible tells us we have that in the King James Bible. What are we to avoid? We're to avoid man's pleasing fables. These are stories that sound good. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Notice that word, endure. And notice what it is they won't endure, sound doctrine. You know what people don't want today? People don't want the doctrine of the word of God. Don't preach to me doctrine. Because doctrine implies that I'm wrong and God's right. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers. You notice something? They're not heaping to themselves preachers. That's not what they want. They heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We want to know more about knowledge. We want more, 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 more. But just knowledge, not, no application, just knowledge. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. I know something about turning your ear because I'm deaf on this side. Being deaf on the right side I tend to turn my left ear towards people when they're talking. Even though even my left ear I hear very poorly in. Probably why I talk so loud. And I have to turn things down. But they, these, rather than turning their ear to hear, turn their ears from the truth. They don't want the truth. They're not interested in the truth. What they want is fables. They want cute stories. They want Bible stories. They want stories that please, not sound doctrine. They don't want the truth. This is what they want. They want fables. What does God say about these people like this? Well, God says those who are looking for fables and those who preach them. First Timothy chapter six and verse four, that these preachers are proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. Notice. He's proud, knowing nothing. You're not smart. 
If you reject the word of God, you're not smart. If you reject this message concerning servants to their masters, you're not smart. You know nothing. You're ignorant. Wholesome words have to do with good health. You know, it's like wholesome food. It's good for you. Well, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Notice, God wants me to affirm these things constantly. That they which believe in God, that they... Let me, re, let me read that again. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God, this is talking to Christians, might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Notice God says it's going to take care for me to live the Christian life. Careful to maintain good works. Good works are what God expects of me. Good works don't save me, but good works follow my salvation. That's what God intends me to maintain. Why? Because these things are good and profitable unto men. These are the things that are going to profit. So we're not to resist what God says, but we're to surrender to what God says. We're to obey what God says. Because when we obey, we bring glory and honor and praise to the Savior. Now, if any man consent not, he says, to the words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are wholesome words. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's wholesome words. The words of God, those are wholesome words. In fact, they're so wholesome that they're required for us to live. They're more important than man's bread. The words of God are bread in Scripture. They're uh, fruit in Scripture. They're honey in Scripture. These are the things that benefit us in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more, for ye know what the command for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. There's that business of commandments again. He says, Furthermore, we beseech you. We beg you and exhort you 
encourage you by the Lord Jesus that ye that as ye have received of us, you received it, now walk in it. And by doing that, you'll please God. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Notice, commandments, not suggestions. These are commandments from God. God's not suggesting you do these things. When the preacher preaches, it should not be just suggestions that he gives people. He should be giving them what God commands. So they're not suggestions. Notice, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, by the way, before he says this, he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So when he gives us commands, he does it as the one who has all power. All power is in Jesus Christ. And we are in our lives to give God what he expects of us and not just what we want to do. Give God what he commands us. What he's teaching us here is according to godliness. Do you notice that? You know what that means? It means it's godly doctrine. So if we refuse to obey godly doctrine, who are we, who are we in rebellion against? Well, let me see. We're in rebellion against the Lord. You're not rebelling against the preacher. You're not rebelling against your master. And masters, you're not rebelling against your servants. You're rebelling against the Lord. Because this is godly doctrine. This is, God, doc, this is the Lord's doctrine. Our response should be Proverbs 19 and verse 27. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causes to err from the words of knowledge. What are we supposed to do? Cease. Stop to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. We're to quit listening to those who teach us or who would like to teach us to go contrary to God's word. Consent. Not. Just simply don't consent to it. Don't give in to it. Refuse to consent. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 4 says, He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, 
which come, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Man's problem is pride. Yep, right there. Pride. He is proud, knowing nothing, God says. He's proud of his ignorance. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12 says, Seest thou a man... Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him. You know, we got a world full of people today, wise in their own conceit, smarter than everybody else. We got students that are smarter than the teachers. We got educators that are smarter than the word of God. We got preachers standing in the pulpits that are smarter than God. They think. You know what God says about that? You got more hope. If you're a fool, you got more hope than the man who's wise in his own conceit. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. God tells you in the New Testament, mind not high things. Don't get yourself, don't lift yourself up. Don't promote yourself. Mind not high things. Don't worry about who's the boss. Worry about doing your job. They're proud in their ignorance. God says in Romans 12, 16, there at the last part of that verse, be not wise in your own conceits. You know, a conceited person is somebody's nose is so high up, we used to say that he drowned if it rained. Truth is, is that a conceited person you can't teach. One who's wise in his own conceits won't listen to what God says, won't listen to what anybody says. And we got a whole world full of people like that today. Notice he says doting. That word doting means excessive fondness. What is he excessively fond about? Questions. And strifes of words. He's excessively fond of questioning. And, and, and spends more time with questions than thus saith the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he says they're doting about questions. You know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, I can tell you for sure it was the chicken because God created the chicken. Everything was full grown when God created it. Just like Adam was and Eve. But my, how people like to question. You know, you know preachers or, or theologians used to sit around and discuss how many angels 
could sit on the head of a pin. Who cares? And strifes of words, that's argument over words. You know where that comes in? The newer Bibles. It would be better translated. We have a lot of preachers today who say things like that. I was reading a statement this morning. Somebody said it would be better translated if this said, no, it was translated exactly like God wanted it translated. We aren't to spend our time questioning the word of God or spend our time on questions or argument about words. You know, it's awful easy to argue about words, isn't it? And all argument about words does is just cause more arguments. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 23 says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Let me give you a foolish question. People have asked me this. If God is so powerful, could he make a rock he can't lift? Well, that's a stupid question. That's a foolish question. I had a man say to me years ago when I was witnessing to him, told him how Christ died on the cross, rose again from the dead, how he suffered hell for us, and now saves us by his resurrection and his intercession on our behalf before the throne of God. You know what he said to me? He said, well, if he knew that he was going to be resurrected, what kind of a death is that? You imagine, now that's a foolish question, an unlearned question. You know what you do with that? Just jump over it. Why? Because the only thing that's trying to do when a person does that is to cause trouble, is to cause an argument. Why would Satan want to cause an argument? For example, when he started out with Eve in the garden, what did he say? Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? You know what the direct answer is? Yes, that's exactly what he said. That would have prevented sin. But you see, we're all smart, like he was. We can argue, we think. And you know what comes about? Is the argument covers up the truth. Just stick with the word. Stick with the words of God and avoid foolish and unlearned questions and you'll avoid strife. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife, there's that word again, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You know what? When we're getting arguments, you know what we're doing? We're just marking ourselves as being carnal, fleshly. That word carnal 
literally means fleshly. It's living in the flesh. It's not living in the words of God. It's not obeying God. It's living according to the flesh. And we got plenty of that going on. These things result from pride we saw. Because he says, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. This is the fruit of man's pride. This is all pride brings out, is envy. We're looking at others with hatefulness. Why should they get that? I deserve that. Envy. Strife. Arguing. Contentiousness. Sometimes we're so bent on proving ourselves right that we don't get the truth of the message out. The truth of the words of God. Railings. That's ridiculing. That's insulting behavior towards others. The context of all of this is the servant to his believing master. And those who don't believe what God says in his word is the responsibility of the servant and the master. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5 says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. Listen, this world is full of men of corrupt minds. You want to hear the corruption? Listen to the garbage coming out of their mouths. Listen to how they deny the word of God. Listen to how they give credit to man and not to God. Men have rejected the truth because their minds are corrupted. They make God's word say whatever they want it to say, including what it doesn't say. The Bible says from such, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Now, what's he talking about swerved? Well, it's like you're going down the road, and then all of a sudden, you cut off. They've swerved and turned aside under vain jangling. You know what vain jangling is? Jangling is noise. It could be any kind of noise. It can be the mouth of man running with no real sense of intelligence. Bane janglings, to me, the best description, are what ladies seem to like. 
wind chimes. They serve no purpose except to make noise. They don't even make music. They make noise. Vain jangling. Well, these have turned aside to vain jangling or wind chimes, if you will. You know what you get from that? An empty life and a corrupt life. Bible says corrupt minds filled with error. You know, when something's corrupt, it's defiled. That's what Titus chapter 1, verse 15, 16 says. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient. And unto every good work reprobate. Boy, what a description. To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled and those who don't believe God, nothing is pure. Let me really underline that there. Nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. You know what? When your mind is corrupt, it's defiled. And it's defiled in such a way as to where you profess that you know God, but your works show that you don't know God. In works, they deny him. Your works are testimony as to whether you know God or not. If your mind's corrupt, then your works are corrupt, showing that you don't know God. Being abominable and disobedient, and unto every work, good work, reprobate, turned away from it. They're destitute of the truth. They've forsaken the truth, they're deprived of the truth. No truth in them. In John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. There's no truth. They're destitute of truth. Those who turn from the truth of the word of God have no truth in them. So whatever they say is going to be a lie because they're following after their father, the devil. He's the father. He's a liar himself and the father of lying. So they follow the devil. Is that really who you want to follow? Now, here's the problem. They think that gain is godliness. 
their gain of disciples, the fact that they gain followers, the fact that they become rich, the fact that they have power, the fact that they have properties, the fact that they have fame, they think that proves that they're godly. God must be in this because it's profiting me. Men are so afraid of the truth of this teaching that in the newer Bibles, they've changed it. They say that godliness is a means to gain. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not what that says. Supposing that gain is godliness. That totally disrupts the, the message. The Living Bible says a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. That's not what that says either. It says they mistake gain for godliness. Totally changes the message. What's our response to these? Run away. Stay clear of it. Don't get near it. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 27 says, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causes to err from the words of knowledge. What are we to do? Cease to hear the instruction that causes us to err. From the words of knowledge. The words of knowledge are the words of God. Are you going to pay attention to God or are you going to pay attention to man? We're to avoid them. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So what are we supposed to do? We're, we're to mark them, which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. And avoid them. Not listen to them. Not hook up with them. Not sit at their feet to have them teach you. Avoid them. You know, it's always been my practice in listening to what men teach about the Bible. For example, on so-called Christian radio, in many cases, which isn't Christian, but so-called Christian radio. And as I was listening, 
if they came on and weren't reading the words of God, but the words and opinions of men, which means the newer translations, I automatically turn them off. Why? Avoid them. Don't listen to them. Don't pay attention to them. Why? Because they're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, if you don't preach the message that servants are to, are to be obedient to their masters, which is the point of all this, then you're not following and you're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You're serving your own belly, your own appetites, your own lust. By good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. It's easy to deceive people if they don't know what the Word of God says. That's why the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. That's the Bible. Get into this book, get into the Bible, get into this book right here, get into this book, the good old-fashioned King James Bible, study it, and you won't be misled. Listen to men and their opinions, and you'll be misled. They're just looking for the simple-minded. Not only are we to avoid them, we're to withdraw ourselves. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6 says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. And the tradition which we receive of the Lord Jesus Christ From the words of God, are the things that we're to give, are the way we're supposed to live, not according to what man says. So, what have we learned? We've learned the servant's responsibility to his master is to obey, to serve. To honor. That's what we've learned. The servant to his master is to obey, to serve, and to honor his master. What's the preacher's responsibility? We've learned that the preacher's responsibility is to preach this message in the pulpit. What's our prospect? What is our proper response when others come preaching that which is not the words of God? Reject them, avoid them, and withdraw from them. That's our response. Well, I thank you for joining us today. And I trust that God has blessed you in the lesson today. And we look forward to the next time.
when we'll once again visit 1 Timothy chapter 6. Until then, God bless you. Hey, this is John Cook again. Thank you for listening to the John Cook Ministries podcast on the pastoral epistles. Now, before you go, how about take some time and leave us a comment or maybe a prayer request or what question do you have that we might be able to answer for you? And don't forget to subscribe to the John Cook Ministries podcast and you will get the next lesson just as soon as it is released. Well, we'll say goodbye for now. God bless. Till the next video.